We wrap up our I Am series today, and we take a look at this last one, and, and it's a fascinating one to me. And, and as I was working on the message throughout the last week, I, I again reached the following conclusion that there truly is no one, no one who understands this world, the people who live in this world, and all that life revolves around in this world. Nobody understands it better than Jesus Christ. Called this constant contact this week because that's what Jesus Christ provides. And as you look at all the different I am statements that Jesus Christ makes in, in the Gospel of John, he addresses every issue that comes our way. Do you find yourself hungering for satisfaction and refreshment in this, in this world, in this life? Jesus says this, that I am the bread of life. Do you find yourself wandering around in a dark world, wondering how you're going to make it from point A to point B? Jesus Christ says, I am the light of the world. Do you find yourself wondering if there's anyone out there who will provide the protection that you desperately need in this world and in this life? Jesus Christ says that I am the gate. Do you simply find you need someone? to guide you, to lead you, to always be looking out for your best interests, no matter what's coming your way, Jesus Christ says, I am the good shepherd. Do you find the weight of this world and all that comes with that and all that, all that is going on in your life at times so overwhelming that you find hope is simply a word and it's not a reality? Jesus Christ says, I am the resurrection and the life. Are you looking for somebody who will provide direction, someone who will be honest with you, somebody who gives you purpose? Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's no one, there is no one that comes anywhere close to Jesus Christ and all that he provides. Whatever's going on in your life right now, Jesus Christ wants you to know that he is the great I am, meaning he is there in your present day situation. It could be absolutely fantastic in your life right now. Jesus Christ says, I am with you. It could be simply just a copacetic type week that you've had. Jesus Christ says, I am with you. You could be going through some very difficult times right now and, and wondering, is he going to carry you through? Jesus Christ says, I am with you. That's the type of God that we have. One that cares about us, one that navigates life with us. He is not a fickle God. He is faithful. He is true. And we read these words in John chapter 15, and I think this last I am statement is so appropriately placed as the last one because of the, the depth of what Jesus Christ is talking about here. We pick it up in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes so that it will become even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. 
You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Father, we pray now as we come into this time of your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes that we may see, open our ears that we may hear, open our minds that we may understand, and open our hearts that we would realize what it means to remain in you as you have remained in us. Lord, it's my prayer that this community of faith, First Baptist Church of Salinas, would be a community of fruit-bearing people, that we would reflect you in all that we do and all that we say. Holy Spirit, your work is so precious to, to pull that off, and we pray that we would be in tune with your work, in tune with what you're doing so that we can bring glory to the one who deserves it all the time, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that no one would hear anything that I say, but they only hear what it is that you want them to hear and need them to hear. And we pray in all of this that you would receive, that Jesus Christ would receive all glory. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So before we address the significance of this issue, I want us to realize that when Jesus Christ states that I am the true vine, he's not artificial, but he is truly alive. When he's talking about being a true vine, he's not talking about one of those vines that you find in in doctor's offices and places like that that is plastic and needs to be dusted off. He's talking about a vine that is true. He's talking about a vine that has life. He is true. He is alive. And to help illustrate this point of what I'm talking about, you're going to see an image. There are six different pictures that I'm going to put up on the screen, or Trace is going to put up on the screen. And I want you just to, to let me know if you think it is a real picture, meaning that it captured something that's really happening, or if it's false. Does that make sense? We're good with that? True or false, real or negative, whatever you want to call it. Okay? We good with that? We good? Okay, so here's the first picture. Is this real or false? False? Really? How can you tell? The spill is too even. You're correct. I wish I was hoping. This is the only one that I think was going to stump you, so I'm toast. All right, the next five, it, we might as well just get right to it, okay? So, so the, the spill is too even. Oh, there you go. Is this true or false? Very true. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful sunset. Next one, true or false? I didn't think it was that funny. That's me trying to get into a helicopter. You're laughing at me. It's me trying to get back into this copter that I rented for the day. No, okay, so true or false? False, obviously. All right, so here we go. The next one. True or false? True. Isn't that beautiful? Just spectacular. All right, next one. True or false? How many say true? How many say false? Okay, it's false. Okay, so it's false, all right? So, so, but it does look, I mean, I like the way they got the whole thing going there, but, uh, but yeah, it's just not true. Last one. 
True or false? Let me tell you something. Bacon is always true. All right? So bacon is always true. All right? So there you have it. So true or false, this is true. All right? So I once heard uh, Jim Gaffigan, he's a great comedian, he said this. He said, he said, what's better than bacon? More bacon. All right? So, so we're all in agreement on that. So when Jesus Christ, and here's why I had to take a look at this. What's going on here when Jesus Christ says that I am the true vine, what he's wanting people to know is this, is that you can take it to the bank. You can depend on him no matter what. But this comment catches them a little bit off guard. He says, I am the true vine. And here's why it catches the apostles a little bit off guard. Throughout the entire Old Testament, the people Israel are referred to as a vine many, many times. Over and over again, you hear them referred to as a vine. Matter of fact, the two biggest prophets in the Old Testament, Isaiah and Jeremiah, spend an inordinate amount of time talking about, talking about the people Israel being a vine. Now, here's why this statement that Jesus makes is so powerful. One of the reasons why it's so powerful is that every single time the vine, meaning the people Israel, are mentioned in a, in, a, in, in a connection to being the vine, every single time in the Old Testament, it is not good. Not one single time. When Jeremiah brings them up, when Isaiah brings them up, other prophets bring them up, other writers in the Old Testament bring up Israel, the people Israel being the vine. Not one single time is it a compliment. It is always about the fact that they are not living out what they're supposed to be about. Every single time. And so the disciples are there in that, in that room, and, and Jesus knows this, that in a matter of hours, in a matter of, of, of moments perhaps, things are going to radically change for him. He's been with them for three plus years. And he says this, I am the true vine, and then he says this, my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. What Jesus Christ is driving at at, at this particular juncture in his ministry is, guys, I've been with you for three years. You've seen the way I've lived my life. Unlike the people of Israel, I can tell you this that I have been the true vine. I have been the very essence of what God wants us to be. If Jesus Christ had said this early in his ministry, the apostles could have looked at him and said, listen, we're pretty skeptical. We don't know you that well. We don't know what you're going to do. But he waits until the end of his ministry to say, I am the true vine. So that the apostles can then look back and say, look at how badly the people of Israel have functioned, and now we have this guy with us. Jesus Christ, who states, I am the true vine. We can look at his life, we can see all that he has done, we can see that he truly is who he says. And how do we know he's the true vine? We know it because of this. True vines, healthy vines, good vines always grow and produce fruit. 
Look what Jesus says here. He says, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Look at Jesus Christ's entire life. Every single thing that he has done, every single person that he has touched, their life has grown immeasurably. Blind people able to see. Mute people able to speak. Lepers who were completely cast out and isolated now are part of a community. He took a group of 12 guys that couldn't make the cut in any rabbinical school whatsoever. They never, no, no rabbi wanted anything to do with them. Jesus Christ takes these 12 guys that, that had a lot of issues and he uses them to change the world. When Jesus Christ says that I am the true vine, what he's driving at is I am the one who Israel was supposed to be, the people Israel were supposed to be. You can depend on me. Because when you see me, you see who God is. When you see me, you understand how God interacts with his people. When you see me, you know this, that I am. Have it all that you need. I have everything that you need. Jesus Christ is the true vine. He gave voice to those who had no say in society. Read through the Gospels, and every single time that he interacts with with women, these people that were despised at the time, and I hate to use that type of word, but but they really were. They didn't have any rights. They 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 had no voice. Jesus Christ gives them a voice. Children who were, just, who, who were just considered an inconvenience until they were old enough to produce, until, until they were old enough to produce energy that, 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 uh, that, they, that was productive and they could do work. Children were considered an inconvenience. Jesus Christ says this, he says, unless you become like a child, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ is about growth. He's about expanding our understanding of who he is and how powerful he is. So when he says that he is the true vine, he's saying, look at my life, look at the way I've lived, and look at the lives that have been changed. People are producing fruit that you gave up on. But because of me, and because I'm the true vine, they keep moving forward. When he talks about cutting off, and, and well, he talks about bearing, bearing fruit here, and he talks about pruning. You want to talk about pruning? Look at Peter's life. This loudmouth guy that spoke out of turn, he even had the audacity to correct Jesus on whether or not Jesus was going to be crucified. Let that sink in for a little bit. Jesus Christ, who's never made any mistakes whatsoever, Peter on one night says, hey, I got it. you're out of line. You're talking about dying. Jesus, I want you to know, I know what's best for you. I've got it all figured out. And Jesus' response to him was one of the most powerful statements in the New Testament. Get behind me, Satan. You talk about a little pruning going on at that moment. I've been called plenty of things in my life. I've never been called Satan. I've been called charming, wonderful, fantastic, incredibly insightful, wise. 
but I've never been called Satan. Right now, perhaps in your life, there are some things that Jesus Christ is cutting out of your life. And it hurts. It hurts. Well, we lived in Scottsdale. We, we, have this or- we had an orange tree, and we, it's still there. We have an orange tree in our backyard. And this one orange tree, uh, and I was always the one that got to pick the fruit because uh, my daughters um, fleeced me when they were younger. I made a deal with them. I picked the oranges, and then I paid them a quarter for every orange that they put in the bag. I was foolish. Trust me. Heidi's looking at me going, wait a second, I don't remember that deal. Well, she needs to talk to her older sister then because Stephanie's the one who cut the deal. I didn't pay attention to how many oranges I had, and I said, I'll give you a quarter of every single one, and Stephanie says, we're on it. They each made $50 that day. I was so ticked off. I'm going, this is a bad decision. But this tree at one time, the street one time produced 1,283 oranges. Abundant. The reason being is because I did a pretty decent job of pruning it. When you prune something, it can produce more and more fruit. Jesus Christ right now wants to work in and through your life. He wants you to blossom. He wants you to enjoy all that He's doing. So, I get it. Things are difficult at times. It hurts as He's going to work in our lives. But know this, that He always has what's best for us in mind. And then He says this. We pick it up in verse 4. He says, Remain in Me as I also remain in you. He repeats this phrase over and over again, and any time a word is repeated in the Bible, it needs to be a word that is heeded in our lives. He says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Bible reading tip is this. Anytime you see a word or a phrase repeated in a, in a very, repeated over and over again in a very short period of, of passages or verses, the author or whoever's saying that is driving home a point. This phrase, remain in me, or this word remain, or perhaps, and in the, in the, in, if you're reading out of the English, uh, the English Standard Version, the ESV, it says, abide in me. That phrase is repeated eight times in, from verses 4 through 7. Eight times. I think Jesus wants to get a point across here. Now, why is this important to know? Why is this important to realize? It's important to realize because of this. Jesus Christ is going to be leaving them very soon. Very soon. Peter, James, John, and the others don't realize this, but what Jesus Christ is doing is He's setting them up 
for what is about to happen in their lives. He's saying, remain in me because things are going to change quickly. And when you remain in me, you're going to be okay. And I want us to look for a brief moment at verse 4. Look at what he says here. Remain in me as I also remain in you. Jesus Christ is not fickle. We are fickle. Jesus Christ is not. The baseline for this whole remaining thing is the fact that He remains in us. The fact that He is there with us all the time. For those of us that have placed our trust in Christ, He is with us all the time. Every Sunday morning when I come over to the church and, and uh, come over, I, I drop my stuff off in my office and I, and I take a walk around the church grounds. And that walk is, I'm praying over the church, I'm praying for the church, I'm praying about our service that's coming up, and I'm praying all over these different things as I walk around the, around the church. And, and this morning, I'll just, true confession here, this morning I woke up on the wrong side of the bed. I don't know if you ever have done that, but it's, uh, I, I don't like waking up on the wrong side of the bed. But I was, I was sitting there and I'm walking around and I'm getting, I'm getting agitated. And as I'm walking and praying, all of a sudden, it hit me. I'm thinking, John, it isn't about you at all. It's about me. It's about the one who remains in me, whether I woke up on the wrong side of the bed or not. And so I paused, I stopped, and I was looking across, and it was back here, and I was looking across Blanco. There's this, where the trees sort of, there's an area there that I can look straight west, and I'm looking out into the fields and, and onto the hills that are off in the distance, and I stopped there and I said, Lord, I'm sorry that I've made it about me. I'm sorry that I've focused so much on me that I've forgotten that you remain in me. And God says, in essence, He looks at, I, don't, he didn't, I didn't all of a sudden have this vision, but all of a sudden it hit me, this passage, I also remain in you. We focus so much on us remaining in Him, yet Jesus Christ says at the very beginning, I remain in you. He's not fickle. We are. There are times when things are going really well in our lives. There are times when things aren't going so well in our life. Jesus Christ is there. He's there in the good and the bad. And as he's talking to his apostles, that had to strike him deeply because he's looking at these guys who, who he's going to say, you guys need to be involved in this. You need to be doing what, I'm, what I've asked you to do, how I've shown you to live. You need to be involved in that. And he's looking around going, this is a big task. But it's not too big of a task for me because I will remain in you. And a big reason why the importance of remaining, the big reason is this. It's a four-letter word called life. Life is not easy. And for the apostles, it was about to get a whole lot more difficult. Peter was about to deny him. Judas was about to betray him. The other guys were about to bail on him and leave him alone. 
Life comes at us, and it comes at us in so many different ways. And Jesus Christ says to them, Remain in me as I also remain in you. And we want to think that when when he says that he remains in us, we want to compare it to our remaining in him. But the problem with that is we're fickle. Jesus Christ is not fickle. He remains. He holds true. There are times in our lives when we're not doing that well. And this word remain isn't a word that means just stay there. What this word remain is, is that it's this constant, and I think the ESV does a very good job at this, talking about abiding, Jesus Christ abiding in us and living in us and always taking care of us. Look what he says here. He says, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I'm going to ask you this question right now. Are you tired? And is your tiredness due in large part to the fact that you've stopped remaining in Jesus? I ask people how they're doing, and one of the most common responses I get is this, I'm really tired. Well, we're the only ones that can, we, we, we need, we're the only ones that can sit there and say, hey, I need Jesus, I need him to help me through this. And so the other time, when uh, this past Wednesday, I was in, I was at prison uh, with the guys, and 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 I asked them this question. I asked them this. I said, I "said I need you guys to help me with this message I'm doing on Sunday. How do you remain? What does it mean to remain in Jesus?" And here are some of the answers from the men in blue. The first thing that they said is this: spending time in God's Word. Look at the way you live your life. Have you become so busy? That God's Word is something that you get to every now and then. Take the time. Be in God's Word. Pray wherever you are is another thing that they said. What does that look like? Perhaps, for me, it happens when I'm driving down the road. And all of a sudden, somewhere, something happens and it triggers this thought. A name pops into my head. I call these things spiritual promptings. All of a sudden, Jim Tripp's name pops into my head. I'm going to pray for Jim Tripp. I'm going to pray for Doug Block. I'm going to pray for Alma Velarde. All these different folks, they, they pop into my mind and I say, Lord, be with them. I don't know why they popped into my mind, but, but, but you're with me. Because you say that you remain in me always. And then they said this. They said, let him do the work from the inside out. I said, what does that mean? And they said, said they said, said, he's got to go to work inside here. I can't, we need to be genuine people. We need to be authentic. And then the next one, and it sort of caught me off guard in light of who they were and who I was talking to, said this, how do we know that we remain in him? Conflict resolution. I sort of chuckled when I heard that because I'm going, I think it's because you guys didn't do a good job of conflict resolution that you're in here right now. Conflict resolution. In all my years of ministry, the one topic that I have dealt with more than anything else is conflict resolution. The next things are a distant second, third, and fourth. The number one thing that I have done in my time with people is conflict resolution. It's huge. 
And what saddens me is this, is that the body of Christ should do this so very well because we have the grace of Christ in our lives and yet we have these conflicts and we completely blow it and we completely shove grace to the side and we want to get what we think we deserve and we lord it over other people who have hurt us. Jesus Christ came to resolve the greatest conflict of all time, which is humanity versus God. He came in to resolve that issue, to reconcile that issue, and yet Christ followers all the time get into these conflicts. One asks for forgiveness, and the other person looks at him and says, I'm not forgiving you. You've overstepped your boundaries. It baffles me. It's the very place where the world says, see, you guys can't even get along with one another. Why should I listen to you? Are there unresolved conflicts in your life right now that Jesus Christ says, I'm remaining in you so that you can navigate this? The next one is this, build up instead of tear down. Every Wednesday when I get to go to the prison and interact with these guys, I come out of there feeling so good. And the reason being is because these guys really do an amazing job of encouraging one another and helping each other. They're in there because they tore one another down. They tore people down. Now they've realized we need to build each other up. Why is this important? Two names for you this week. Kate Spade, Anthony Bourdain. Two people that had it all. And two people this week that said, I'm out. And they committed suicide. The suicide rate in the United States has increased by 30% since 2000. Odds are, every person, odds are, most of the people that you interact with have been so beat up and are so torn down that they're looking for somebody to say an encouraging word to them. And we have the greatest encouraging word of all, which is the fact that Jesus Christ loves us, and Jesus Christ is willing to remain with us, and Jesus Christ is willing to walk through life with us. Instead of tearing one another down, we need to build each other up. 30% increase in suicide. And then the last one that they gave us was this. You should serve. How do we know we remain in Him? By serving. Look for opportunities. Look for those opportunities to serve rather than be served. And you saw the list of names on the screen. And, there are, and those are people that are serving here at the church. And I get it. Some of your names weren't on there. And the reason why is because you're out serving in other places. And you're doing great things in the name of Christ elsewhere. But when we serve, what ends up happening is we get our eyes off of ourselves and we put it onto Christ because He's the one who gives us the energy to keep going. There's a real syndrome out there. It's called compassion fatigue. When we care for people so much, it gets tiresome. Jesus Christ says, remain in me. And why do we remain in Him? Because He's the one that keeps giving us the energy to keep going. Perhaps today, perhaps at this very moment, is the time when you need to say, Jesus, i got to have you remain in me. And Jesus' response to you will be, I'm with you, I'm remaining in you. Tap into me now. 
If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Are you tired today? Are you worn out? Jesus Christ offers. Offers the energy. Offers the unction to keep you going. And then he says this, and there's a temptation in verse 7 to say, this is a great bonus. If you remain in me and my words remain in, me, remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done. It will be done for you. This is my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. We read that verse and, and we sit there saying, this is awesome. I can pray whatever I want and I'm going to get whatever I want because I've remained in him. But that's not what's going on here. We need to give credit where credit is due and that's what Jesus Christ is driving at. When we remain in Him, and His Word remains in us, the work that Jesus does is noticeable. People can see a change in your life. So I ask you this question this morning. Can people tell that you're remaining in Jesus Christ this morning? Can people tell that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control are evident in your life? Because Jesus Christ is in your life. Because Jesus Christ is remaining in you and you're remaining in Him. And His purpose is to be our purpose. Notice what He says here. Ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. Well, when we are remaining in Him, we're only going to ask about things that matter to Him. We will be in line with Him. Yes, I would love the Pittsburgh Steelers to win every single Super Bowl from here until whenever. But I don't know if that's God's will. Many of you are just saying, that definitely isn't in God's will. But my point is this. When we pray, when we're in tune with Him, what we pray about matters to Him because we get what matters to Him. In your Bibles, flip to Acts chapter 4, and we'll wrap up with this little encounter that happens in Acts chapter 4. Well, John, does remaining in Jesus Christ really make that much of a difference? Does it really matter? In Acts chapter 4, starting at verse 1, we read this. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly distressed, disturbed, I should say, because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to be about 5,000. Peter and John have gone out and healed a lame beggar. A guy who had never walked before, Peter and John heal him. The authorities are distraught. They don't know what to do. Verse 5. The next day the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power or what name did you do this? They're concerned. They've never seen, they haven't seen this happen. Then Peter, verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to, shown to a man who was lame and, and are being asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, 
It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Peter and John are asked, you need to give an account of how this happened. And Peter says, I'll tell you how it happened. It happened through Jesus Christ. And then verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. Unschooled, ordinary men. No seminary degree. They didn't make it through rabbi school. They were unschooled, ordinary men. They were fishermen. These leaders who knew everything, who understood the way God operated, at least they thought they did, are looking at these two unschooled, ordinary individuals. They're baffled at how this change has happened in this man's life. They can't explain it. It makes no sense. These guys, Peter and John, didn't have the education. They didn't have all these different accolades that, they had re- that these, these people in authority had received. They were unschooled. They were ordinary. And they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That these men had remained with Jesus. A lame man, never never able to walk, is now standing before these authorities... And why? Because Jesus Christ moves, from, moves people from the ordinary to extraordinary. When you remain in Jesus and He remains in you, things change. When we remain, nothing stays the same. Nothing. And so when Jesus talks about the importance of, of, of remaining in Him. He wraps it up and He says, here's why. It's to My Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be My disciples. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to remain in Him. There's a whole lot coming our way. A Haggai project, a vacation Bible school, all these different things that we have lined up, we need to remain in Him because when we remain in Him, what ends up happening? The ordinary things that we think are going to happen become extraordinary because we have a God who changes our lives and changes the lives of those around us. Jesus Christ says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So I submit to you, let's remain in Him. Stay with Him so that we can move from the ordinary to the extraordinary because Jesus Christ is the vine. Father, we pray now. We pray now that Your Holy Spirit would move in such a way that we are, that we're invigorated, rejuvenated, energized, 
that You would move into our ordinary lives and transform them because You are the vine, Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, do Your work. uh, Remind us that You're with us always. And for those of us in this room that do not know You, it's my prayer that Your Holy Spirit will work in such a way that that perhaps today's the day where they realize that they need someone to remain with them. Someone who won't let them down. We pray that that would happen. And we thank You, Lord Jesus, for being the vine. For being the true vine. And we thank You for the fact that You remain in us to accomplish what needs to be done for Your Father's glory. Lord Jesus, You are amazing. And we praise You. And it's in Your name we pray. Amen.